you are an entrepreneur, a professional, a speaker, or a coach, and although you've come a long way, it's time for you to take it to the next level. We've got you. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. We'll help you use authority and influencer marketing to build your business stronger and faster by publishing a book. You'll hear from guests that are thought leaders in sales, marketing, networking, communication, social media, promotion, and business leadership. Let's do it. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. And now your host, the extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder. Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. And today I have a tremendously special guest with us as I am talking to sort of a fellow publisher, a book marketing strategist. And I love having these conversations because you get to share with like-minded people and that's always fun. So Meline is joining us today and she's an author, a business strategist. She teaches experts, teachers, public speakers, and other freedom seekers how to write, publish, and market their books. She is also the editor of more than 30 nonfiction books, which on average sold five times market average and created significant business growth for the authors. Maylene is a futurist at heart, and as a business model innovator, she is determined to find new ways for authors to connect with their audience and strategically use their books to build their businesses. Welcome to the show, Maylene. Thank you so much, Kim. I'm happy to be here. So, Maylene, what I'd like you to do is I'm going to have you do some teaching and training in the second there, because we are going to talk about NFTs, what they are, and how you can use them to build your business. But first, I would love for you to just introduce yourself, because this is your first time on the show, and share a little bit of your story. How did you get to this place where you're now helping others use their books? I'm still working on getting that as a simple story because really it has been anything but a straight path. One side, it's like it was all a coincidence and yet there's a, a straight line through it all anyway. So, yeah. So when I was eight years old, I was a, I, I read lots of books. I was very frequently visiting my local library, carrying mm. home bags of books. I was, I picked the thinner one so I could read more books every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they knew me there. I had a lot of books on my own and in my in my room I created a small library where the other children in the street could come and they could read my books and there were even mm -hmm. small pieces of paper and a pencil and they could write their story. Honestly, I don't think anybody ever showed up, but in my mind <laughs> I had that business back then. <laughs> <laughs> and it probably lasted for two weeks. <laughs> but anyway, it's just to tell you that that books has been a part of my DNA, but yes. my career path was completely different. I am not as many who are teaching how to publish books or how to write book or book editors. They have a more uh, journalism related background. Mm -hmm. uh, but But I didn't start out as a writer. I have been studying a lot. I have six mm -hmm. different educations and I love doing these major 
the thesis was the perfect uh, task for me. I I was that annoying student that finished up weeks or months before we we were supposed to. Have. <laughs> so I always loved working with big amounts of text and structure things, but my career path really started with uh, seven years of accounting. I knew very mm-hmm. quickly I'm not gonna stay here, but it was. Uh, I work with entrepreneurs and they needed mm-hmm. a lot more than accounting. <laughs> uh, so so I, I actually learned a lot and I was I was young learning economics. You can always use that, right? Then in the 90s, we all had to learn how to use a computer. And in Denmark, I think even maybe Europe, we have something we call a computer driver's license. Seven modules, uh, learning how to use Excel, PowerPoint, Word, uh, operation systems, how to use the internet. There was a course in that back then. <laughs> all of that. I was not an IT geek, but I was one of the first who was teaching it. So I was learning the night before and it was okay because nobody else knew anything. So so you learn from those who were willing to take the first steps. I did that for seven years. That was in the education sector. And then I got a job as an innovator in an insurance company. This was back when all of innovation was related to physical product, uh, using design methods, using we used theater methods. We did we did a lot of crazy stuff and I loved that job. Got promoted because I was good at it several times. But the problem was when they promoted me out of that role. I started getting bored. <laughs> I didn't like all of that political game that happens yeah. at the the upper levels in the corporate life. And I, I realized, sure, I'm good at this. I can do this. I might even want to do it for the salary, but I'm leaving a part of my personality at home. So at some point, I quit the job. I started traveling. I traveled and traveled and traveled. And then I felt if I'm going to keep traveling so much, I better travel for a longer period of time, figure out how to make money while I travel. (laughs) So I went to Peru. I thought I was going to stay for five months doing different kinds of consultancy. I very quickly got consultancy tasks, but I thought I would stay five months, learn some uh, Latin American business, learning Spanish, all of that, and then travel South America for two months and then go back home. But I've been there for less than three weeks when one of the consultancy tasks that our assignments that I got was that create an investment proposal to a Danish publisher and they had a self-publishing platform to invest in a small startup in Lima, Peru, was covering all of Latin America and they were digitalizing already printed books into ebooks. And they said yes. <laughs> and they asked me to stay on board as the CEO of that self-publishing company. So there I learned the business from the inside. Terminology, I learned the processes. I also learned what we didn't do well enough. Nobody was doing well enough. One of the things that became clear to me is that there are very different segments in terms of authors to write fiction or they write that where authorship is their job. They mm-hmm. have to be excellent at writing. The segment that has a very personal story They lost a leg to cancer. They lost a child. They overcame something horrible in their life. For them, writing is important because it is a part of their healing process. And they really just want one other person to benefit from that story. And they Mm -hmm. are happy about that process. And then we have the entrepreneurs that publish nonfiction books. And they use it as a branding or marketing tool. And really, the writing is not important because it has to be a great book. But they are used to communicating uh, whatever they are teaching uh, or, or talk about in, uh, in public speaking. They, their knowledge is super organized. They don't need creativity in terms of 
their message, that's already something they worked on maybe for a decade even. They are completely different segment. What they need is visibility. So the sales strategies, everything is different as for which segment you belong to. This was my starting point when I then came back to Denmark. My inbox was full of people asking me, I heard you did something with book. Did you go to South America? (laughs) (laughs) And and why books in South America? (laughs) And then I started helping them as a book coach. So uh, That's how I kind of found my way back to books. I love that we nowadays, nobody has a saying in what kind of message you can get out into the world. We need that. We have such big problems in the world that we need to work together to solve them and we need to share our ideas and knowledge. So Mm -hmm. I love breaking down all of those areas for all of these goodies, all of this gold mm. that people hold on to, to help them let it come up, get out there and help other people. Uh, I love your story, Maylene. Um, I was one of those kids. The library was just down the street. Yeah. You know, I was the kid that was always in the library, always getting books. Dad, buy me this book. Can you buy me this book? And I didn't go for the thin books. I went for the books that were like two levels above my reading grade and couldn't understand the vocabulary. And I remember, you know, being with my dad on the couch and he'd be reading a book and I'd be reading a book. Dad, what does this mean? Dad, what does this mean? And he'd be like, will you stop reading so book so much? Because he's trying to read his own book, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, will you stop reading books so much above? I said, but the other books are boring, Dad. <laughs> And often when Harry Potter, the Harry Potter books came, because then I could read for my son and me at the same time. <laughs> it was equally <laughs> interesting for both of us. So, Maylene, we're going to just shift gears here. I want you to talk about NFTs. So, first of all, there's probably a lot of people who don't even know what they are yet. Yeah. So, spend a few minutes talking about that. But then how can entrepreneurs use them to build their business? It's difficult to to answer those questions very briefly. We need to understand this is a huge mind shift that's Mm going to happen. It's a technology shift, but it's also a a very big mind shift that Mm -hmm. it takes to, to take advantage of these new opportunities. I need to start really to explain what web free is first, but I can do that very quickly. So if we think about the internet, back in the days when we first got the internet, it was companies and bloggers who created, they had tech savvy people, they were programming web pages Mm -hmm. that we could then read. And for regular consumers like I was at that time, it was amazing that I had all information in the in the world available at my fingertips but it was a one-way street i could read the internet so that's web one that's reading the internet web two is what we know now social media has made it possible for everybody to be a creator Mm -hmm. the user interfaces has improved so that you don't need any technical skills to be a contributor to the internet every time we're posting something we're uploading something We are creating the internet as we know it, Mm -hmm. but rarely we are the owners of that content. Even if we have the copyrights, we're not the owners of the content. As soon as we post it on social media, they own the data, they own the content, they own everything. Uh, So these intermediaries that are controlling our content, it's not only in the social media space, it's in many spaces, in banking, for example, People don't like that banks set the rules for how they can transfer money from the other part of the world, or maybe say they cannot, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, or takes forever, it's expensive. 
you cannot transfer money across the world very easily or even from one person to another person you have to wait so today i was i had to buy something i needed to charge that card it would send it would take three to four days in a digital world. <laughs> so we don't we don't like these intermediaries. We don't like that Facebook owns all our data. We don't like that publishers get to decide which books has to can come out in the market or not. They cannot in, anymore, but they could for the longest time. So these intermediaries, bigger centralized entities with really very few, if you think about it, even globally, how few people are in fact really making the decisions about how society works. This satisfaction with who is in power is increasing rapidly. Mm -hmm. And it's connected to, at the same time, in parallel with the development of the internet as we know it, in parallel since the beginning of the 80s, there were pioneers, geeks in the basement, <laughs> who were developing blockchain technology mm. and web free is blockchain technology unfortunately many think the first thought is something with crypto speculation in in new currencies and it's probably all dangerous and full of scam <laughs> but actually the blockchain technology is one of the safest ways of distributing content we can document ownership without any of those entities uh, necessary we can do transactions of money between two entities without any bank involved. Web3 is a solution for. When Web1 was to read and Web2 was to write or create, then Web3 is to own. So every time we, we create something on the blockchain, we are the legal owners of that content and mm -hmm. of the data, which is, by the way, all transparent. So it's very difficult to tamper with this and or broad even is much more limited. For authors, what's the, what does this mean? One thing that it means is that we can publish our book as what is called NFTs. So the web free consists of many things. It's a, like, a, like an umbrella term that covers metaverse, social tokens, cryptocurrency, and also NFTs. And NFTs is what I have dived the most into. A non-fungible token. It's a weird word, <laughs> fungible. I guess less than 1% of people will know what that even means, even if you're a native speaker, which I'm not. But even native speakers don't know <laughs> what fungible is. What it really means, we will get we will get other terms that people can easier understand, I'm sure. But right now, it's called an NFT, non-fungible token. Fungible means that if I offer you $10 bills you and say, well, do you want a dollar? You don't care which one you get. They have the same value. They can do this, the exact same thing. They are not individually... Um, it doesn't make a difference which one you own. But if it's non-fungible, they're all unique. They would all be registered individually on the blockchain. Each would have mm -hmm. their own block on the blockchain. A blockchain is a chain of blocks. So every time we create something, we have a transaction about something, we're creating a new block on the blockchain and it just becomes longer and longer and longer. And this means that even if you publish your book as an NFT, for example, maybe you want to offer, you, you decide, do I want to offer an unlimited amount of NFTs for this book? Or do I want to have another strategy that says, I think maybe 5,000 people would be interested, but I'm only going to offer 100 and make it more like an auction 
and and will have a strategy to raise the value of that so that when they trade it, the value will go up. One of the great things that an NFT can do is that if I sold it as an NFT book, I would get my royalty the first time mm -hmm. the book is sold from me directly to the reader. But I would also be able to get royalty when they trade it among each other. Mm. And so this is like in perpetuity, I would still benefit from this book. At the same time, I can make it a limited amount of books. So mm -hmm. we come we come back to some of the more old fashioned strategy with first editions. And we can think completely different strategies around this when we are the actual owners of the book. So you can mm -hmm. say we're also still the owners when we publish on Amazon. I still own that book 100%. But yes. the system is defined by something else, somebody else. They determine mm -hmm. the royalties. They determine which, uh, if I had need to offer exclusivity to get into KDP Select, mm -hmm. or not. they determine all of the rules. But in, in NFT, uh, in Web3 and with the NFTs, we set the rules. And we get customer data. So when I sell books on Amazon, well, some people say that, uh, how do I even know the numbers are true? That they, they just tell me what is sold or how many is sold, but I don't know who that covers. So how do I know that? No, that's true. I think they, they, they need to protect their brand. So I, I'm mm. sure the numbers are true. I get accumulated level of data. I don't know who exactly bought my book. And yes. I have zero possibilities to connect with them only through the book, but not directly to the buyer. Yes. You can do that with the NFT. You would you would be able to know exactly who at this point has the 100 books that I published as NFTs. Mm -hmm. Even if they sold it again, I will still be able to know who has it now. And then I need to correct myself a little bit because I don't actually necessarily know who, but I know their wallet address, not their email, but I know their wallet address. So in their wallet, they have my NFT. And mm -hmm. if I want to, I can send them the next chapter of my book to that wallet address. Even though I don't know who it is, I can still send them, a, it's mm. called airdropping. I can airdrop a chapter of the next book or I can uh, drop other pieces of content like a video course. Uh, maybe I, I'm creating a course that's called NFT for Authors. I could drop that to the people who purchased the book. Mm. Doing so, I might create an expectation among my NFT mm. holders. Malena, she's pretty cool. I think she, there's going to come more to me. So I'm going to hold on to this NFT because the value will go up either mm -hmm. because I want to sell it and I think the value will go up or because I don't want to miss out on what I get because I'm an NFT holder. It's a mix of like shares. It's an investment, mm -hmm. like a shares and investment. You could buy stock and that... And that would be quite similar. It's also a little bit like a loyalty program. You can earn points in certain bookstores that, that hosts NFT books. You can earn NFT points for reading so that you can buy something more. And you can trade them. And it's also a token is like a key. So mm. it gives you access to something. So yeah. I could on my website create that course or have a community on my website. And the only way to get in there is that you are an NFT holder. So what you would, would do is to paste your wallet address and it will look up in your wallet. Do you own that my NFT or not? If you yeah. do, you get access. If you don't, you don't get access. So these are some of the, the things an NFT can do. You can use them for voting power. Mm -hmm. For example, we could vote 
wrote about which book should I write next, this one or this one, or which which uh, yeah. front page do like this one or this one, mm-hmm. uh, which, which cover. Um, do we want to let 100 people buy the next book or a thousand people? What should my strategy be? You could let people vote. In the in, if you take it to the extreme, you could even allow these NFT holders to be part and of a, what is called a DAO a decentralized atonic organization and allow them ownership to the book itself. If you imagine there's still some technical issues in actually implementing that, I'm sure that will be possible really soon. So you could say that that my next book, my newest book that's just coming out these days, I have a mission with this book. I want to make, I want to mm-hmm. change what publishing is for authors. So yeah. I could choose, I could go the, the traditional way and say, this is my book. I'm the one who's supposed to profit the most from it. And I will uh, do the marketing Mm -hmm. and I will uh, create all of these traditional channels. That's one Mm -hmm. perfectly fine strategy. But I could also have chosen to say, I'm going to find 1,000 people who share my idea of what publishing should look Mm -hmm. like. And I'm going to sell them an NFT. And then we're going to split the royalties from this book. This would mean that I would have 1,000 people who were NFT holders and who had an interest in the value yeah. of that to go up. So what would they do? They would market the book. This is ownership and have a direct connection between the creator and the NFT holder or reader. Wow. Wow. Okay. It's going to take a while to wrap my brain around that one. <laughs> we, we may have you back at another time to go into that a little bit further, but thank you. That gave us a really good basic for it. We're going to slightly switch gears because we've only got a few minutes left. You've been the editor of more than 30 nonfiction books and you've written your own books as well. Is that correct? Yes. So first of all, tell me about some of the books that you've written. Well, they are, they are all nonfiction books. They are all nonfiction books. They are all entrepreneurs who use it as a branding and marketing tool. Yes, we want to have as many books out there as possible, but we mm-hmm. are less concerned about the profit on each book as we are with the visibility. We want it to get out there. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we use strategies also that will allow us to get it into the hands of more people, <laughs> maybe even sacrificing sometimes profit. So what we do is we create a, a system where the book is the centerpiece of their business. So yes. the book is what gives them the opportunity to, to do public speaking. But it also mm-hmm. goes the other way around. They sell books while they do public speaking. So it kind of yeah. goes both ways. I, I was actually interested in books that you've written yourself. Okay. Okay. Uh, my first book was called Marketing Made Human. Mm-hmm. That was a book I wrote because I saw one human marketing is going to be a huge topic. So riding those waves, what is coming mm-hmm. next, it's very much in my nature. That's why I worked in innovation before. That's why I yeah. taught IT where I had to learn it the day before, right? I like doing that for myself. But also what I realized was that many of these course creators that I was working with, they were not, they were not fans of marketing and selling. <laughs> so, and I realized that they were trying and felt they had what they had to do was to do as well with their marketing and branding as the big brands coca-cola or a big competitor someone way out of their league first of all (laughs) that had a completely different foundation in their business but also people don't trust corporate brands but they trust personal brands 
We trust yeah. people. We don't trust those corporate brands. So the more you the, to make, I'm, I'm going to make it short, but the more you try to look like a big corporate brand and look everything perfect, mm. like you need, you need a videographer to create an online course. People like it when you do it on your phone because they, they want you. They don't want yeah. that uh, big corporate professional brand. They want mm. a person. So this book is about overcoming and making that mindset shift and understanding where that reluctancy to marketing is coming from. So I tell actually mm -hmm. a, bit, a bit of history. Uh, so why we program like this and how do we get rid of it? <laughs> so that was the first book. The second book that is coming out now is called Next Gen Author. And it's about what Web3 is, what NFTs mm -hmm. are. So the first uh, part is about what is this societal trend that is carrying the technical trend, the blockchain technology, mm -hmm. and, and how does that fit in with, um, with, what, uh, what, with what we can do and with, with publishing. So mm -hmm. I actually also dive into what are the problems in publishing today and, yep. and uh, how, do we, how do we overcome them? So the second part is what could authorship then look like i call it authorship reimagined mm -hmm. uh, so that's that's the second part and then in, the last part is a helpful framework to help people identify the best strategy for the type of audience that they have i dive into four different categories of customers or customer types that will all have to deal with web3 if the listeners here are right now thinking or viewers are right now thinking but i'm not sure this web3 is for me i'm just gonna skip that one no you're not like we didn't skip the cell phone or we didn't skip having a computer this is something we will all have to deal with it will be more user-friendly you will need to know less about the technology behind mm -hmm. it very soon uh, but it's something that we're all going to deal with. We're all going to have a digital wallet. We're all going to have, we're not going to want to use it in the same way. And neither are uh, your audiences. Mm -hmm. So to identify what type of audience do you have? And I have, have the, those four categories. And then I outline the strategy for those. Um, and there's some checklists and what you can choose. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this, that, and that. Um, so that is a long list of ideas mm -hmm. also in the book. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Maylene. This has been a a pleasure having you on the show. Thank I just you. want to encourage everyone that, you know, if this is something that you are interested in, make sure um, we will have a link to Maylene in the show notes and you can connect with her to find out more about this and how you can use it in your business. So this has been Maylene Benson and Kim Thompson Pinder on the Author to Authority podcast. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the very next episode. Bye now. You've been listening to the Author to Authority podcast. The extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder, has helped over 200 entrepreneurs, professionals, speakers, and coaches write and publish their books that have become incredible marketing tools for their business. And many of those have gone on to become Amazon best-selling authors and have used their books to land high-level clients and get on big stages. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at www.author2authoritypodcast.com. See you next time.